Osiris. Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Loyalty, described as, do you care? And I care, and that's why I'm on this show. Comes a time, here we go. <laughs> I'm a sucker for O'Teal, man. I saw that same feeling that I have, that would he filled a void that I didn't even know existed. It feels so good to, as Ben said, to try to do something about an issue as opposed to complaining. If you can't help, don't hurt. If we could just all get out there and throw cream puffs at each other, maybe things would, instead of bullets and, and <laughs> angry words, it would be better. When you stop laughing, you stop living. There's a worldwide surge in interest in mushrooms. It was deep, man. It's not that TM makes your mind quiet down there. It already is. We're just stuck up here. We've lost access. I'm jumping Jack Flash came out by the stones. So I thought, all right, perfect, man. I'm gonna drive, and I started driving through the neighborhood, and I got, I got a text from Mick Jagger. <laughs> People saying that you know what we do is non-essential. Well, playing those few gigs that yeah. you saw me at felt pretty essential to me. It wasn't like they were clapping from here. Is they were clapping from here. My view of things is that death, death is the last and best reward for a life well lived. Like you gotta, it's the strangest of places if you look at it right, you know? If you're liking what you're hearing, head on over to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod and get your bus pass for an extra episode every week. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of comes a time podcast. That is O'Teal. And that's Mike. Uh, Big thanks to everyone who uh, listened to last week's episode and shared it and uh, wrote me nice messages and stuff. I really appreciate you guys. And uh, it, it, it was it was tough, but it was important, and I'm happy I did it. And uh, thanks to Oteal for listening and being a good buddy. And uh, if you haven't seen it, I'm sharing it on my social media and my YouTube and everything. Uh, and if you want to find it, you know I'll be posting it. But yeah, got real and honest, and uh, Oteal found the perfect follow-up for uh, us to chat to today. Yeah, I heaved and just came, just dropped in my lap by the universe, by coincidence, if you believe in that sort of thing, which I don't anymore. So a mere three days after Mike's podcast came out, a friend of mine that I had lunch with told me about our guest Ronan Levy. And he has his company um field trip now field trip um is a huge company the largest global ketamine provider 
uh, in existence, apparently. And um, they do these ketamine and MDMA and I believe psilocybin-assisted therapies. So it's like all this for mental health and um, not for partying, but as medicines, you know. And um, I just couldn't. I said, hey, uh, I know this kind of seven, but uh, how about uh, 11 a.m. tomorrow? (laughs) He's like, all right. I was like, okay. So the timing's just crazy. And, you know, with what, uh, Mike, with what you just laid out on the table for everybody. And what a great conversation. Well, yeah. And and, uh, to that point, well, first of all, Ronan, thank you 10 times over just for explaining what. I mean, it's that whole, I think as a kid, when I heard like you only use 10% of your brain or whatever the hell that was, you know, that thing, yeah. it's like, I always thought like, just imagine if we could use 30 or 50 or a hundred or whatever. If we can't, then let's just figure yes. out how to use the 15 that we have access to. You know, I think that's <laughs> kind of what, good use of that. no, it's like having hammers and nails and being like, <laughs> I'm a construction worker. No, you're not. Learn how to fucking bang a nail first, you know? So I think just, uh. Knowing what we are operating with, and I love this thing that he says, a couple things that he said, and uh, the speak from scars, not from open wounds. Damn, I might get that tattooed on my palm and just every day look at it because holy cow, that's true. And uh, the other thing was it's not about mental health. It's about how we're living. And uh, yes, it's super important to think about that stuff. And, and it is the paradigm we live in is unsustainable. It's mentally unhealthy. It's physically unhealthy. It's spiritually unhealthy. If we even acknowledge that at all, some of us, are, a lot more people are, thankfully. And um, so it's the paradigm we live in that is the problem. Of course, we're mentally unhealthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anybody that lives this way, you know, you look at people that don't live this way and they're like, you're crazy. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the guys I talked to, Jeff Firewalker Schmidt, that I want to have up here, he's partners with Medeski mm. in the St. Disruption thing. He works with these guys in Peru, plant medicine, you yeah. know, yeah. he said they bought one of these guys to like America and he took one look at like New York or wherever. He was like, "This shit is crazy." <laughs> like, yeah, dude. <laughs> what are you guys doing? This is insane. Yeah, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> wild, isn't it? I know. Yeah, what are we doing? it's like no wonder we're nuts, you know. So, uh, yeah. but with these medicines, we can come to the awareness. Like, okay, all right. No, I see why I feel this way because this is all nuts. Let me reorient myself, give myself permission to say all this is nuts, change in my life what's nuts about it, not buy into it, like redo, reprogram our whole thing. And we're like, okay, the world's still crazy around you. Yep. But yep. now I don't feel like I'm the one that's got the problem. <laughs> you know? Well, and also, yeah, it, it's, I think it's like uh, you maybe even um, kind of, Except that we're all it, we're all a little bit crazy, and we're all a little bit, and it's a good thing. It, it could be we a strength be. instead of a weakness, you know. And that's, that's right. That's what's important. You don't if have you to like accept the crazy that you were given. You can find your own crazy, you know. That's exactly what Colonel Bruce told me. That, exactly. Oh wow! I said <laughs> I feel like this, this is going to drive me crazy. He goes, "Go crazy." He said, you better go crazy on your terms before they drive you crazy on theirs. 
Wow. <laughs> and Nailed it. He, he was my ketamine and my psilocybin and my, what <laughs> it was just like, it was very psychedelic, yeah, you know, but I believed him and it was true. Now then I had to learn to do that off stage as well as on. Sure. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. You know, but this is... This it's an ongoing conversation, it. and yeah. it's and it's. I I had no idea the uh, impact that uh you know it. I, I'm really happy that last week happened, and I'm kind of happy that last year happened. Yeah, I don't want to go back there. I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy. But uh, if you're not feeling good, make a plan and talk to a doctor and uh, look do research and there's a lot of good stuff out there find the right fact check your facts <laughs> uh make sure you're there are enough experts like ronan and uh folks yes. that know what they're talking about so um yeah there's good, great resources it's a renaissance and happy to be a part of it really and one other thing you know you said i tried it 999,000 things <laughs> that was the million it was the millionth one that worked. Yeah. So don't give up. Yeah. Keep trying. You had a shitty therapist, go to another go one. Go to another one. Or one that didn't fit, go to another one. Go to another one. Go to another one. Go to another one. Like, don't give up on yourself. This yeah. is a great thing. 
if you can lick it, it's so worth it. You I, know, it's yeah. so worth it. Life is so much more wondrous. Yeah, I got all my stuff, but you know, the good stuff is so huge. It's worth fighting your way to the other side, you know. And, I, and I'll add to that and say, you know, a lot of times, and I was guilty of this myself, and uh, when you go to a therapist, don't go to a therapist and plop yourself on their couch and expect them to fix you. Um, have an idea of what you want out of the process. Like, figure out what your goals are before you go in. And it doesn't have to be some massive, giant, transformative, I, I want to be, you know, the best person in the world. No, like, be honest with yourself and look at your shit and say, what do I want to, you know, you, you know, you got to learn to ski before you, you know, hit a half pipe. So like take it step by step, but have a goal and tell them that and go, if you don't, if if it's not what you specialize in or whatever, do you have a reference for me to go to someone else? Okay. Like that's, that's super important. I've gone to some and I'm like, I hate this person because of X, Y, Z. And then it's like, you go after That's how you even learn. That's how you even learn. Like, you know, if I tell somebody, make sure you know what you want when you go to see a therapist, right? It's like, well, when you have five ones that don't work out, you go, well, I know I, this didn't work, this didn't work, this didn't work, this didn't work, this didn't work. So a lot of times knowing what you what doesn't work helps inform, give you an idea of 100%. what you want. Yeah. You got to be willing to take the whole long journey, you know. Yeah. It's just like you said, I didn't want to go through this bad thing, but Gotta I also it. wouldn't take it back because that's how I got over, yeah. you know, there is a hump. Yeah. And so getting over the hump requires some hump. You got a hump. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Just bring shoes, got- <laughs> bring shoes you don't care about and get muddy. You know what I'm saying? You can always get new a shoes. A couple of pairs. Yeah. Fuck That's it. Right, Who cares? That's it. So we, you it's know. It's good over the hump. Yeah. It's good, it's good on the other side. The hike up is worth the walk down. <laughs> you know? Dude, so, but uh, thank you, Ronan. And uh, you haven't heard the last of him. I think that him oh, and I man. are going to make a movie. So uh, <laughs> everybody enjoy the episode. And uh, we are not doctors. I'm going to put this out there just in case it's not in the notes. We are not doctors. Uh, we're giving you uh, information. And um, that's our disclaimer. Uh, go seek medical yeah. professional help uh, and um, make sure that the folks that you're speaking with know of any medications you're on and all of that other stuff. So we are that's not right. doctors. No, we want you to trip with doctors. Yes. If that would help you. If that would help you, yes. <laughs> Not with me. No. <laughs> with doctors. No. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Stay safe. Peace. Thank you for coming on so quickly. You know, this is right on the heels of the last episode we did with Mike, where he opened up about uh, his ketamine therapy and struggles and stuff. And that was just last Friday. This is Tuesday. I mean, it won't come out uh, quite so soon, you know, but it's yeah. on the heels of that. And thank you for doing this so quickly. It's it's my honest pleasure. Um you know, it's a, it's an important conversation. It's a conversation that I've really inserted myself into and anything I can do to help create awareness, help create education, help people feel more comfortable 
talking about mental health, about ketamine, about psychedelics, it's, it's kind of my life purpose right now. So it, it really is an honor and a pleasure to be sitting down and chatting with you guys now. Yeah. Thank you. And it's, uh, it, it, it felt, um, we put out the episode on Friday and I kind of woke up Friday morning, like, uh, all right, it's out there. Uh, you know, like I was vulnerable and I was, we recorded it and I held on to it for like three weeks. Cause it, wow. it, it's not that I was ashamed of anything, but it was, I just, you know, you kind of want to make sure the story you're telling is, um, you know, how you want it to be. And, and especially because I wanted people to know they're not alone and that if they've been trying something and it's not working, there are other options. I think that's the most important thing that I I'm finding is my life's mission right now is that I've tried a million things and 999,000 of them didn't work, <laughs> you know? So, um, are, are you finding that, you know, as we're experiencing more with, the integration of psychedelic medicine with the integration of psychedelic assisted therapy, um, conjunction with medications, um, that people are becoming aware that there's more than maybe one or two options these days. Yes. Before, before I I comment on that though, I just want to kind of acknowledge what you did and, and I totally understand why it's hard to put it out there. I'm, I'm, I'm buddies with Tucker Max. I don't know if you guys know who Tucker Max is, but um, mm. he's kind of well known. And I uh, spent a lot of time talking to him. And one of the things he taught me was speak from scars, not from open wounds, right? So if there's wow, still an yeah. open wound there, you have to be very cautious about putting it out there. So I totally respect um, the delay and the, and the intentionality uh, before, before you put it out. Um, yeah. To answer your question, yeah, absolutely. Um, more and more people are becoming aware. It's no surprise to anyone around the world that we're in the midst of a mental health crisis. You know, um, the statistics, I'll just briefly kind of touch on them. It's like a quarter of every one in four people worldwide are going to experience a clinically diagnosable event of depression or anxiety at some point in their lives. That's like, Two and a half billion people (laughs) and our current treatment options don't work for 85% of people who use them. If you have access to them in the first place, I mean, I'm in Canada, I'm recording from Canada right now. So we're fortunate in many ways that we have pretty good access in the U S it's a very different conversation, but go to the rest of the world, the emerging countries where healthcare even awareness uh, of mental health struggles isn't even a conversation. Uh, and it's a, it's a stark situation, but over the last, really the last five years, but over the last 10 years in, in truth, there's been this percolating awareness that, Hey, there are different ways that, um, are incredibly effective and not just incredibly effective for many people, they're also very transcendent experiences for, for most of it. Some of the studies looking at psilocybin, you know, there's a study looking at psilocybin for smoking cessation. And it, first of all, let's acknowledge, isn't it so contrary to everything we learned in high school that here we are promoting a drug that's a schedule one drug with a high risk of abuse and, and no medical value, according to the government, showing <laughs> strong efficacy in treating, you know, not just depression and anxiety, but 
uh, any, many forms of addiction, like tobacco addiction and alcohol addiction and all that kind of stuff. All the legal um, stuff. Found- <laughs> we use it to uh, kick the legal stuff. <laughs> exactly. I could laugh if they didn't put all the people um, in jail over it, you know, also. It's like, geez. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I, I go back to that and I, and, and no, it's, it's totally all right. Um, I'll finish that thought before I lose it. But in that study with psilocybin, they found that something like 80% of participants significantly reduced their smoking after a single psilocybin assisted therapy session. But One. 75% of those participants, uh, yeah, 75% of those participants identified their psilocybin experience as one being one of the most meaningful experiences of their lives um, up there with marriage, birth of a child. And, and so what that tells me is that what we're struggling with this mental health crisis that's going to affect 2.5 billion people truthfully all 10 billion of us carry stuff it's part of life that we can try to work through and psychedelics are potentially very helpful for that but what it tells me is the mental health crisis we're experiencing is not a problem with our brains it's a condemnation about how we're living our lives, yes, what we right. deem socially acceptable. It's the fact that during a psychedelic experience, whether it's with ketamine or psilocybin or MDMA or anything else, we feel something. And yes. we're so used to not letting ourselves feel anything because we're so scared and hurt all the time um, that people are like, oh, and that's why almost every single person I've met who's had a positive experience of psychedelics, which is the most of them not only have a positive experience, they then become an advocate. They become an ambassador being like, Oh my yeah. God, this Million is not percent. just depression treating. This is life changing. Um, and yeah. so and that story's getting out there. It? That story is starting to get there. Yeah. It's, it's a thing that really, uh, my mind focuses on is why are we so scared and, and, um, you know, just bottling up and, and hurt, hurt and keeping it concealed. Why are we so hurt and why are we going to such great lengths to keep it concealed? I mean, I know the answer, but. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'd like to take a crack at that. And I think you hit it on the head, uh, Ronan, that, I mean, since you've said it, I can't stop thinking about it. Speak from scars, not from open wounds. While you're in the midst of an episode, you don't know what to do. You, uh, like yeah. you're literally lost. And, and I, to give you Ronan, like the real kind of, you know, Netflix log line here of the past like year and a half, I was on Lexapro, was feeling really muted, microdosed to take, to take myself off of it. Then did two very large uh, psilocybin doses with a guide that I talked to throughout. One was phenomenal. One was sort of terrifying. Then um, fell into like a really deep depression uh, months later for about four months. Um, Confusion, like debilitation, like it was bad. I went to a doctor and she started me on a ketamine regimen twice a week for four weeks and then periodic ongoing from there in conjunction with cognitive behavioral therapy. And then I introduced Zoloft at a low dose because I was to help with the obsessive compulsive kind of part. And the thing that I find is that I'm literally looking back on that period as a, it was a whole other person. Like it was, it was something like, I can't even believe that was me that went through that. And 
what the ketamine has done, in my opinion, and I'd love your thoughts on this, is I feel when I come, it's a 90-minute session, but I believe the first 45 minutes is when the ketamine is sort of doing its thing, and then the final half, I'm kind of you know waiting to go home. I find that the end of it and that sort of afterglow afterwards is me going like, like a veil has been lifted and I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I don't have to be afraid of being late. I don't have to be, it's okay if I haven't been perfect. It's okay that I feel like I'm just accepting myself. And those are the things that seem to stick. And the profound moments with the mushrooms are the things that seem to stick. And it's this whole portfolio of positivity that I can like harken back to. And you can't tell me it's not real because I'm feeling it in my heart. So that, that thing of looking back, I could not have even began to try to talk about this six months ago. There's no way in hell. Mm -hmm. And now all I want to do is talk about it because I think it can seriously change people's like, and I've had people reach out just over the past, you know, yeah, the episode's only been out for a couple of days. I've had, parents reach out to me and say, I understand my kid better. Like mm-hmm. one, a, a wife reached out to me and said, my husband and I listened to this crying because he's convinced he was the only one feeling like this. And it's got nothing to do. I'm just happy. I was, I put it out there. It's not, I'm not patting myself on the back at all. I'm just saying more people need to know about this because how many people try Zoloft or Wellbutrin or Paxil or whatever it may be. And it, a whole, yeah, 20. And it them. makes, yeah, but then they go, you know what? It just doesn't work. Or they have one shitty therapist and they go, this yeah. it's not for me. I'm just going to be depressed. Like people po- like give up. I yeah. gave up on, and I'll tell you, I give Zoloft just as much credit right now as I do the ketamine and the talk therapy and all of that. Like I feel that key thing of just surrendering and kind of going, I don't know what the best thing for me is, but I'm going to try all of it. That's a hard that's, thing. It's a wild ride doing like five different terrifying. medicines. Getting terrifying. on it, you feel weird. And then you're like, oh, this doesn't work. Now you got the I side took- effects that are horrible. Then getting off, it feels bad. And then now you're getting on the next one. You do Dude, that I was five crying times. When I took- People are like, yeah. you know, enough already. You know? I was crying when I started Zoloft this time because I was waiting for side effects. I was literally uh, like, I yeah. took it and I was like, I can't wait. I can't believe I'm doing this again. But it didn't happen. Yeah. I didn't get any, and it was finally the right one for me. But and I, I, we, I didn't have you on to listen to me. <laughs> but I just wanted to tell you from my experience. I think that I'm finding that these doctors nailed it for me. Nailed it. Yeah. Ketamine talk therapy, specifically cognitive behavioral therapy. After a couple of nice psilocybin sessions, and it's it's been a it's been a, a whole other world. Yeah, listen, I, I think that what you're doing is super important. And and thank you for sharing it, the both the, the ups and the downs. Um, you know, a, a couple of things came up w- when you were talking. First is you talked about one of those experiences of psilocybin being terrifying. And the truth is these experiences can be terrifying because what they often invite is a hard examination of who you are, what you value, what you've gone through. And that can be scary. That's the definition of dread. The sense that who you are is not who you're becoming. And that gap, that space between where you are now and where you're going, that's terrifying. The only thing in the world ever to be afraid of is the unknown, right? And so when you're being like, okay, I'm leaving behind what I was 
to become something new. And I don't know what that is. That's the definition of unknown. So it's terrifying, but it's terrifying usually, not always, but usually in a very positive way because it invites the gravity of what you're embarking on. Um, and so I just wanted to recognize that, that yeah, these experiences can be challenging, properly supported, right. you know, with the right therapist, they can be transformative to an unknown degree, even when they are terrifying. In fact, what we see at field trip most often is that the most challenging experiences can be the most cathartic and lead to the biggest breakthrough because they invite the deepest re-examination of all these things. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so that was one of the thoughts that came up. Another thought that came up is um, a friend of mine, uh, Andreas Aquino, he and I were talking and we've been longtime friends and we've talked a lot about philosophy and this, this gets into the spiritual side of things and, and I apologize for it, but totally welcome. Yeah, please. <laughs> right. What's more than welcome uh, here. <laughs> okay. He, he said, and, and this is from, uh, this is from uh, someone named Lazarus, um, who said all human suffering, at least mental and emotional suffering is a result of the fact that we are right here. You know, we are in our body, but what we project to the world and what we tell ourselves are different and all of our suffering, all of that self-hatred and self-doubt and, and self-loathing is because who we are and what we're pretending to be are not the same thing. And what happens in a ketamine experience or a psilocybin experience is th that separation in, in some ways can be thought of as, as your ego. You know, the ego is portraying that version of yourself that you think you should be. And anytime you hear the word should in a conversation, you have to think, yep. oh, there's a level of judgment in that because I'm mm -hmm. not that person uh, or I'm not that person yet. Uh, and during that psychedelic experience, those two, those two versions of yourself get to merge. The ego gets quiet and all of a sudden you don't have to pretend to be the person you think you should be. And, and, and that's why it's such an experience coming out of it. That's why there's so, so the glow, that's glow. That's why you don't feel like, oh my God, it's okay. I can be late for something and it's not the end of the world because you're no longer pretending on, on, on who you have to be. Um, and, and I think these are just really important things. And, and in many ways, what I hear from people when I talk about it, because there's people who are super open to it, generally speaking, uh, there's people who are curious and there's people who are fundamentally opposed. And I guarantee when you talk yeah. to people about like, oh, I'd never do that, their answer is, and you ask them why, and they're like, oh, I, I don't want to be out of control like that. And the funny thing is, in my experience, what a person needs in that exact moment is to learn how to be out of control. One of the Amen. greatest lies... We tell ourselves is um, we are in control. We're not in control. We're not the control is anyway. like our emotions. Everything is out of control. Yep. Uh, but the greatest fallacy is, you know, the belief that we'd want control even if we could have it. It's like control is awful. It's like emotions yeah. are fluid, right? Like if you think, I don't know if this is a truth of the origin of the word emotion, but it's energy in motion. And it's fluid, mm. right? It's constantly moving. You know how exhausting it is trying to hold. And I, I oh, speak from yeah. firsthand deep experience on this. Yes. How hard it is to hold your emotions. It's That's why fascism never lasts. <laughs> yeah. It exactly. takes too much to, That's exactly to, it. to maintain control. Like, you know, it's the same macro for an empire as it is for a person. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, it just takes too much energy totally. to maintain I, that. Yeah. And I could give you uh, two... Yeah. I'll give you two two examples, one from the great psilocybin experience and one from the terrifying psilocybin experience where I had to let go of control 
both as profound as they were and as different as they were, one was great, one was terrifying. I mean, I literally in the, in the, the good one, um, I somehow remembered that I, I said out loud that I said, my wife and my dog are always asleep when I'm around. I don't know why I said it. It, it was just a thought, you know, those weird thoughts come into your head and, and our, my God, she goes, well, that's because they feel safe around you. And mm-hmm. I, it, it hit, I go, people feel safe around me. And I said it. And then I mean, like faucets of tears just came bawling out of my eyes. Right. And I was, and then, and that was just, it set me off on this beautiful thing. And then, and it's not like I was talking about stuff. That sentence just came out. Like I, I, I wasn't yeah. thinking about it. The bad one, the bad one felt like a flight that never reached cruising altitude. I got stuck in the clouds and I turned to this, I started to think about death and I wasn't thinking about my death. I was just thinking about how death is like right here all the time. And I turned to the, it was the same guide. I turned to her and I said, I'm not doing well right now. And she's like, well, I'm, I'm here and you're doing fine. Like, let's, what is it? And I, we talked about death and I went into the trip talking about death and it was, uh, that part stuck with me and it was beautiful in its own. It was almost kind yeah. of like the feeling when you go to a, a funeral or a wake, like something had died and we were lamenting it, you know? And, uh, I just strapped in and kind of was like, all right, well I got to hang through until this thing lands. But both times I had to, she talked me through, just go with it. It's okay. Like we're not in control of anything ever. And that relinquishing of control. And it's, it's amazing the things that stick with you. I, I, in the moment, I had so many little vignettes, so many nice little short stories that each were impactful. But like a handful each, I still like, it's like when you have a dream you can remember forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like imprinted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's yeah. very interesting with the mushrooms. The ketamine I've probably done now probably 20 or 30 times maybe more. And each one has that same kind of, um, just let go, let go. Um, I have a it's couple okay. of questions if it's, yeah. 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 Can I ask you a question or two about ketamine in particular? One of the questions I want to ask you Ronan about your experience with people's experiences on with ketamine. And I tried to explain it. It's easier to talk about it a second time. I feel, um, when I would have the experience with the ketamine, uh, and I'm doing IV ketamine. Um, mm-hmm. I tend to, uh, I'm very quick to, uh, to leave. I, I'm hypnotherapists have said that I noticed that when meditating or floating, I'm, I'm a good candidate. I'm out quick. I'm, I'm like, my bags are packed before the stuff even hits me, you know? And what I've hey. noticed and maybe early on more than now but I found myself sort of, um, if Salvador Dali was kind of bringing me, if Salvador Dali uh, made a Christmas carol by Charles Dickens, where the ghost comes and brings yeah. you to the Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future, like I'm, I'm experiencing these journeys to my fears and I am observing it, but I'm going through it. I can't do anything about mm-hmm. it but I get through the other side and I come out going, I didn't die. 
like the feeling of claustrophobia uh, has always been a problem for me. And while I'm on in my ketamine experiences, sometimes I feel, I don't want to say a coffin, but I feel like there's something right here and right here and I can't do anything about it. So I have to just, Mm -hmm. but I'm not scared of it. I'm just experiencing it. And then that part dissipates and I go like, oh, I got through it where that would have been a time when I would have panicked in real life. And bailed. Yeah. Like, or, or like there, I explained on the earlier, on last week's episode where I had this feeling one time of like hanging upside down and I was traveling towards a, like almost looked like a waterfall of sand. And I was like, I'm going to crash. I'm going to die. I'm going to crash, like wake up. But something in me is like, let it go. And I went right through that waterfall of sand and I came out the other end and I was like, I didn't die. It was amazing. And this was when I was at like the worst of my depression and the worst of my panic. So I was coming out of these feeling very like transformed and hopeful and it didn't go away. You know, like each time felt very unique in that way where each experience was literally getting in and doing the work. And I was kind of, it's like I was a car and someone was in there tinkering with the belts. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And and not in any way to to diminish your experiences, but I think of it like the first time you ride a bike, right? Like you're fucking terrified. You're going to fall and something terrible is going to happen. And the first time you fall, it's like you scrape your knee, you scratch your hands. You're like, oh, that sucks. And if you're a kid, like it really, it feels like the end of the world, but you get back up, you do it again and do it again. And eventually you can ride a bike without any fear. Now, and all that kind of stuff, but like you don't have any fear of riding a bike. And so it's just like going through that sand or feeling that claustrophobia and be like, oh, I didn't die. And every time you have that and you get that lesson of, oh, I don't die when this happens, I can be mature through this. I can be an adult through this because a lot of this stuff certainly comes from our childhood. You know, again, going into the spiritual side of things, even though it's now more and more science, less spiritual, a lot of it comes from our parents. Like if we think about how DNA works, it's like you are literally built of all experiences of your parents and your grandparents and maybe a few generations before. So there's probably something in that history where that piece of claustrophobia, if it's not based in some experience that you can remember, probably something that your parents or your grandparents went through, right? Um and so you're like, you come by it honestly. Uh, yeah. And then you can experience not letting it take over and you're not dying. It's like, I have a, a recurring dream. It hasn't come up in a psychedelic experience, but literally probably once a week, I have a plane crash dream where I always survive. Um, oh, but, once a week? You know, it's like the more you get, Jeez, that would wear me yeah. out, bro. <laughs> once a week you have that? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Hey, he like, survives. It's typically associated <laughs> with periods of five. Yeah, I survive every time. <laughs> Uh, chaos, but you get, you get to learn wow. what it's like to not be afraid of, because most of our, fear, some of our fears are rational. Most of them are irrational, um, totally. you know, but the, the nature of irrational fears, and this is one of the challenges uh, I, I was going to touch on it before. Um, but this is one of the challenges of like our, our, the enlightenment and like the death of spirituality in our society, not religion necessarily, but spirituality um which is we think everything can be explained by logic 
right? I, I know it's something that I've suffered with and, and with like my my spiritual teacher, you know, our first session talk told me I was in a relationship that I knew I didn't really want to be in, but wasn't sure what to do. And he's like, Ronan, emotions transcend reason. You can't think your way out of emotions. It doesn't That's work. Funny. They're not operating on the same playing field. So, you know, trying to think your way out of it, it's never going to work. You still got to deal with your emotions, which means you got to feel your emotions, which is something that like me as a, you know, a good Jewish boy, like I, I'm rock solid and not letting myself feel my emotions for a long time. (laughs) Stiff Um, upper lip. I must be Jewish. Stiff (laughs) We're all Jewish. Exactly. (laughs) Italians and and Jewish um, have a, have a, a, a very similar stiff upper lip. I'll you got that guilt that you came by that guilt yeah. thing real natural. <laughs> Very similar. Yes. And we both appreciate great food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we we sure do. And then focus on family and probably overbearing mothers, overbearing. all of that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. It is very, very Yes. Yeah. Yes. Eat, eat, eat more. Um, <laughs> eat your pain away. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> I'm 43 years old. I can't go to my mom's place without leaving with food. She will not like, there's an old joke that, uh, you know, if, if you're at a Jewish mother's house and you're eating, if you want a little more, you ask for no more. If you want a lot more, you ask for a little more. And if you actually want no more food, you have to shoot her. <laughs> um, that's as a, as a, as a fellow 43 year old, I, uh, Right. I appreciate that because yeah, I think I owe, I've, I've tried to write jokes about how my therapists owe my parents, uh, like a gift card or at least a thank you card at the holidays. Cause we probably, I probably put an addition on a couple of therapists houses, you know, but it is funny how we, uh, yeah, we, you know, you just eat your way through it. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting thing. I think that, you know, I remember looking at my forties, in my late thirties. And of course, uh, no pandemic was really a part of the plan, but I remember kind of thinking about how I wanted my forties to be my twenties with money. That was like my goal. (laughs) I would never want my, there's no amount of money that would make me want to, that could help my twenties. No, but I wanted to do my twenties over again is my point. Like I wanted oh, to with redo your, with your new, yes. Yeah. Yeah. With, yeah. with all your wisdom. No, I don't want yeah. to be 20. Again. I'd have been no. dead if I had the money. No, I then I wanted to redo my, you know, everybody thinks of their twenties as kind of like their, you know, I, I was too busy being an old man or running from whatever. So, um, but it's an yeah. interesting, that's really a funny thing that, so what is happening to my brain when I'm, experiencing these ketamine like what is actually scientifically happening yeah so i'm not a scientist or doctor so my my knowledge is um fairly limited and i'll speak in layman's terms but essentially what ketamine does is it blocks certain channels and certain neurons um and causes them to start actually operating in unison and kind of like a consistent wave um Mm. because you have different brain waves alpha beta theta delta all that kind of stuff excuse me and um that's your mom getting you wavelengths yeah exactly (laughs) Exactly. our mom's heard us Uh, making fun of them (laughs) yeah yeah, i'll show you um (laughs) Uh, and, and so different waves lengths are associated with different states. So if you're in a panic state, I forget what it was when you're in a relaxed state, it's kind of like an alpha or beta wave. Right. And so it actually brings you into that state. And, and so 
what seems to happen with ketamine and, and most psychedelics, ketamine in terms of a molecular chemical way actually adds, acts differently than psilocybin. Ketamine works on the NMDA receptors, psilocybin, um, LSD, MDMA work on the serotonin receptors. So it's a little bit of a different path, but what's nice about how ketamine works, it works on a cascading set of molecules, whereas the classic psychedelics only work on one. So that's why the experience on ketamine can be much more consuming. Um, and, and we talk about this, I should probably know all of this stuff better because one of our therapists, Dr. Mike Dow and I have a book called the ketamine breakthrough coming out actually in about a month, uh, in early April that goes through awesome. all of this, uh, and pretty in depth. Um, Great. but what happens on a higher level during these experiences is you have three kind of things operating. Uh, the first is, um, that during these sessions, like you experience, you experience things. Sometimes it's moments from our past. Sometimes it's things that never happened, uh, that we can look back, look at with objectivity, right? We get to, you know, shrink that separation between our ego self and our actual self. And we can look at things from a much more mature adult perspective being like, is flying through, you know, a waterfall of sand going to kill me? No, I'm going to get sand on me, right? Is is the logical answer. But when you're in an elevated state, a panic state or whatever, that, that logic doesn't work. It doesn't punch through the emotion involved in it. Uh, so during that experience, you get to revisit these motions and, uh, moments. And so some people go back and be like, oh, I didn't realize that happened in my life. And in fact, I just had a an experience myself where um, I, I had a, a, an experience with 5-MeO-DMT. Um, I don't know if you know 5-MeO-DMT, yeah. but it's the most potent psychedelic on the planet. Sonoran it blasts you off to space. Yeah, exactly. The Sonoran Desert. And I came out of that. And like one of the things I've struggled with, which most people find ironic because I'm a, I'm a public facing figure for the company and I can hop on podcasts and talk about this stuff to, to the end of the world. But I've always had trouble finding my voice. I've always had trouble defending myself, you know, standing up for my boundaries and, and enforcing them. Sure. And, um, and one of the things that came out of this 5-MEO experience was a realization that I've never had a voice because as a kid, I didn't want a voice because like my parents were going through a really acrimonious divorce and speaking up was more dangerous, at least in my worldview, than not speaking up. Um, uh, and so I didn't want to speak up. And so like I've carried that kind of awareness forward. Uh, and this was pre, maybe even pre-verbal kind of timeframes, but I just had this like knowing that that's what I've been carrying. So that's the first piece of what happens is you get to see these experiences or revisit them and be like, oh, I don't have to be scared of that anymore because I'm no longer a one-year-old who's wholly dependent on my parents. I'm now a 43-year-old uh, and I actually have a job. So I'm not like most millennials who are now still wholly dependent on their parents, but in a very <laughs> different way. Um, and uh, yeah, and so I can let that, I can let that go. It no longer has to have control over me. So that's that's one thing. Two is there's a period of psychological neuroplasticity that happens afterwards. This is where the importance of the cognitive behavioral therapy comes in, which is just like children are super adept at picking up skills. Like my, my seven-year-old is already better at most video games than I am because it's just like their brains are in that state. They're hyperplastic right now and they're absorbing things like crazy and developing new skills. Following a psychedelic experience, psychologically, we're in that same state. So when you go into cognitive behavioral therapy and do motivational interviewing or behavioral activation or anything along those lines and want to make real changes in, in your outlook, in your habits, if you want to go to the gym more, meditate more, eat better or anything along those lines, 
in that window, in that one or two week window after these experiences, they're much more likely to stick because the analogy that's given is kind of like snow landing on a cross country ski path. It's like you get to carve a new path in your brain. And we do know on a physiological basis that your brain, the more it has a thought, the more it thinks those thoughts, right? So they get pretty encrusted in your brain. and, And so here you get a chance to rewrite those. And then thirdly, specifically with ketamine, but we've also seen it with psilocybin and and, and MDMA right now, uh, is that your brain actually starts to grow neural synapses through stress, anxiety, depression, the synapses in your brain start to disappear, fall apart, you know, and and so your brain actually isn't talking to itself as effectively as it could. And we actually see neurogenesis, uh, neurosynaptogenesis happening in the brain. So all of these Mm. things are happening. And that's why these seem to create such incredible outcomes. Now, just as a, as a foil, um, conventional treatments like um, uh, escitalopram and, and, and antidepressants, they've always worked on the theory of the serotonin and theory of depression, which is that there's a misalignment and undersupply of serotonin in the brain. Just in the last couple of weeks, actually, studies have come out and said, no, that's not the reason. We really don't know why don't know. antidepressants, when they do work, why they work. And, and so there's no surprise that they're not terribly effective. But that seems to be what's happening during psychedelic experiences. You've got this triaging sense. And then going back to the sort of spirituality conversation, we had... Um, uh, a reporter go through one of our experiences and she talked about how afterwards she was just like looking at her hands and she had like this deep sense of wonder, much like a child or like a baby yeah. is like looking at their hands or just like, just, wow. And I also think this is an important part and I think it falls into that second bucket, but it's kind of like, we've so lost touch with wonder. We've yes. so lost touch with all these experiences that's it's this right yeah. here. It's this, you know, it's this yeah, cat. It's, it's partly it, that. It, yes. Yeah. I mean, a good portion of it. Um, I, I, it's kind of, and I don't mean to interrupt. I want to interject that. I think that one of the nice little byproducts of doing a 90 minute session is I'm not playing with my phone. <laughs> I'm taking a 90 yeah, minute man. break from mm-hmm. social actually media in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just another thing. Sometimes it's one not what the, you're doing. It's what you're not doing. <laughs> you know? to- totally. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny, uh, Dr. Steve Rosansky, who's, uh, in Oregon and, um, I've had a, I've had the pleasure through my work at field trip and beyond of having some really incredible experiences with some people, but this Dr. Steve uh, Rosansky in Oregon, he's like, could you imagine the FDA ever approving a drug that gave you a dopamine hit every 10 seconds? And everyone's like, absolutely fucking not. And then it's like, you pick this up and then you're like, oh, mm-hmm. that's no. exactly what that is. So that, there's totally. definitely a problem associated um, with that. But, um, yeah, but a great book, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the work of Jamie Wheel. I don't know if you've ever heard of Jamie Wheel. He wrote a book called Stealing Fire um, and oh, another I've one heard of the more book. recently called Recapture. Yeah, another one called Recapture the Rapture, uh, Rethinking God, Sex and Death in a World That's Lost Its Mind. It's a fantastic book. Um, but what he talks about is how we've had kind of two eras of meaning. The first era was kind of religion, right? We had all of these religions, which were very good at giving people a sense of purpose and a sense of community, you know, uh, and, and 
to some degree, keeping in connection with awe, wonder, ecstatic states, getting out of our head, getting out of our bodies kind of thing. But they were very divisive. And uh, we know yeah. we we can list off all the wars that have happened because of religion over the years. So it's like, okay, so we, we parked that and said, okay, that doesn't work. And we came up with neoliberalism. There are other versions, but neoliberalism won. And so we threw it all spirituality. It's in the enlightenment. Everything is logical reason. There's no space for wonder or awe or spirituality. You know, we're just here, mindless consumers here to consume and have the best time possible. Uh, and we're seeing now, you know, having seen it play out over the last 50 years, we're really hitting the limits of what neoliberalism can do, which is by and large, people are wealthier than ever. You know, people have more money and more shit in their houses and we're still in the middle of this mental health crisis. It's like, it doesn't compute everything that economics tells us. It says like the more money you have, the more, the happier you should be because you can trade that money for experiences or whatever. We lost something along the way. And so he's a big advocate for meaning 3.0, which is, oh, and he talks about how meaning 2.0, one of the advantages of neoliberalism is that it's very inclusive, not entirely inclusive, but pretty inclusive, at least relative to meaning (laughs) one point. Yeah. Not of the poor, for yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, but they for a don't give a people, shit right? about the poor. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's very true. That is very true. But a lot less war has happened, you know, in the last hundred years than the previous like two thousand years, right? So there are some things that worked well with neoliberalism. So he's like, okay, how do we get to meaning three which is it's inclusive, it's accessible. It brings in all of the things that are wonderful about meaning 2.0, but actually keeps space for meaning 1.0, where we can tap into wonder, where we can tap into ecstatic states, where we can reconnect with community and our humanity and not just be mindless consumers. And I think that's the real question, right? This is not... This is not a mental health issue. And it's one of the the big, you know, when I get on my pedestal, this is the thing I get on. This is not a mental health issue. This is a how we're living our fucking lives in our it's communities a paradigm issue, issue. And we need to start do something different. Yeah. Um, yes. And yeah. Uh, and so I think it's well, an important so part arrogant. of the conversation that this is not about your <laughs> yeah. brain. Well, everybody, right. we're so arrogant about what, the, you know, what we have now. So it's hard to have the conversation, you know, when everybody's like, what's the problem? Everybody's been, you know, I heard a guy uh, who's in the, was a Catholic priest talking about the free market. There's less, there's more people raised up out of extreme poverty now, you know, and so what's the problem? You know, and I'm like, so they have more strip malls now, like all their problems are fixed, you know, it's like, it's hard to have that conversation with the arrogance that's also like, this is the best in the whole world, you know? I'm like, well, it's unsustainable for one thing, you know, it doesn't, it clearly yeah. doesn't care about the poor. It doesn't care about anybody's mental health. The The people succeeding the most are committing suicide and miserable. So what's so, you know, I know yeah. it's convenient yeah. and, <laughs> you know. Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at Smart Wolf. For more than 25 years, Smartwool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They're here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good.
as someone who's been kind of literally going through this, hit the bottom and climbing my way back up and feeling better than I ever have probably maybe in my life since I was a child, young child, I've thought about that term mental health quite a bit and about how, you know, we are a society of terms and everybody likes to put a classification on things and everybody likes to, you know, I have this or I, you know, I think that when you are going through something like this, your body hits a point of exhaustion and your mind hits a point of exhaustion where you go, there's nowhere else to go, but up or somewhere else or give up. And I think that the people who, I mean, and obviously giving up in what we're talking about is, you know, either taking your own life or diving into some addiction or alcohol or opiates or God knows what else, like all the vices, right? But, or there's this thing of, I have to trudge through the mud and quicksand and be cold and be lost and be scared and come back to the trail and work your way through it. And it's, I kind of, instead of thinking it as like a mental illness, it's like a mental strength because Mm -hmm. I'm finding the wherewithal to go. I don't want to give up. I know I've experienced joy before. I know that's in there. I just lost it. Like somewhere it got lost and I got to find it. And, and that's the, I think that a lot of, uh, strength goes into these journeys and these experiences. And I coming out of those giant psilocybin experiences. I kind of had to sit with that stuff for a month or two and kind of go like, what even did that all mean? You know? And the thing I really thoroughly enjoy about the ketamine is I have found, found it to be a lot more gentle. Um, and a lot more, uh, you can get on with your day kind of thing afterwards, you know, but it's reinforcing that notion that like, this isn't a weakness. It's a strength. Like we're we're Mm -hmm. going through, like that's a huge part of cognitive behavioral therapy as well is, um, looking your fears kind of right in the face. Like that's a huge part of that therapy is you look at your, like, I forget what it's called, what the exact terminology is, but that's a, it's a kind of exposure therapy is what it's called. Like you essentially, you, you, you have to, uh, turn the lights on and go, there's no monster under the bed. Like you got to look under the bed, you know, you got to go uh, look under the bed. (laughs) And, and I have hearkened back to points in all of my experiences when I've had those irrational fears where I kind of have to go like, all right, on a scale of one to 10, like what's the odds that this is even legit fear? You but know, the installation of those fears is 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 real because you know when this like you were talking about emotional pain earlier, Ronan, and and that a lot of that comes not from you. It comes if you had something bad in your childhood. Which I mean, what are the odds? We all are going to go through something, <laughs> varying degrees, and some are worse. And when you're at your most vulnerable, you right. know, and now you have this thing installed. Like, I don't know how irrational, I know it's irrational macro because it's like, okay, I'm 43 now. But, you know, for that, when that scar was an open wound was when you were at your most vulnerable. That's a heavy thing. It's easy to see how I got carried forward. Yeah. You know, and how do you mm -hmm. deal, how it's like trying to deal with, how do you deal with that? Those emotional pains that. I don't know. I wouldn't call them irrational necessarily given what their genesis is. Well, 
Yes, and that's true. I, and Ronan, I'd love your thoughts on this as well. And I hear what you're saying, Oteil. It's irrational what I mean in retrospect when you can look back and go, you know, on the scale of one to 10, uh, irrational being five and above, something that now I can look at and it's maybe a two yeah. was a 12. So I'm, yes. I didn't have a point of reference. So yes. it was very over blown and over emphasized in my because of something that happened in the past yeah but that's probably. what i'm saying when but, it was a 12 because when it actually happened to you the thing that makes you keep doing this sure you were little and it was a 12 right <laughs> you know? yeah yeah it's, it's easy go, to see why the lights it doesn't on. stop it's, yeah, yeah it's a dust ball not a monster <laughs> under the bed <laughs> but I, i'd love, well, I'd love yeah, your thoughts on I mean, that. another way to think about it is <clears throat> You know, um, think of our psyches of who we are and how we see the world as like building blocks, which is like, if the bottom building block is unstable, (laughs) whatever you build on top of it is going to be unstable, right? And these things come in and we learn a lesson very early on and it's a pivotal lesson. And then every other lesson has to circle around that lesson and sticks with us. And as you get older, we face two things. One is you have a lot more at stake. You have a career, you have a wife, you have a kid. Now, all of a sudden, those those consequences, those fears, if there is something under the bed and that fear was accurate and that pit viper is there and bites you and you die, it's like you're leaving a lot behind. And interestingly, you know, there's only men on this call, but like for men, um, what's called chauvinism, which is like the distortion of the masculine and feminine and it has turned women into sex objects and men into performance objects. And this is one thing I went through myself, yeah. which is like I was working with Erwin and uh, we were talking about being 40 before. And I remember I've never had like a kind of mortality concern. And all of a sudden I turned 40 and all of a sudden my mortality is like front and center. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to die. Am I going to die soon? <laughs> this is terrifying. Yeah. And, uh, and so I was talking to Erwin and he was like, what are you afraid of dying? Um, and I'm like, he's like, yeah, of course, dying. I get it. But like, what is it? And I'm like, hmm. And he's like, do you feel like you'll let someone down if you die? And I'm like, fuck, yeah, my kids. I would feel like I've totally let them down. And he's like, and would you feel embarrassed if like you got sick, like you got cancer or something like that? I'm like, yeah, I like, I, I've lived my entire life trying to be healthy, do the right thing. And he's like, okay, so recognize that like your bigger fears about dying are about like disappointing people and like being embarrassed. It's not about dying. Right. And that's because like we get value as men from being useful, right? We're performance objects. So you abandon your kid, your wife, you're like, fuck, I'm a total failure now. Right. So going back to that conversation about that stack, you know, those fears have, have amplified, even though the likelihood of it being a pit viper, as opposed to a dust ball under your bed, hasn't changed the math has changed because there's more cost associated with yeah. uh, being wrong. Right. Very and, true. And so that's why it gets a lot harder um, to, to deal with this kind of stuff. And, and again, it's also like, as we get older, like our identities get more um, entrenched and being willing to like leave them behind and give up those fears, which we know, you know, and to do something yeah. we don't know. It's like, what does the world look like if I'm no longer claustrophobic? I have no fucking clue what that looks like. That's yeah. terrifying. Even though it sounds like a logical level being like, that sounds wonderful. It's still terrifying. Still it's still the unknown. unknown. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> still yeah. the unknown, right? Um, oh, wow. That's, that's, so. that's incredible. That's a really, yeah. It's all about <laughs> even, perspective. Yeah. 
That's true. That's the part about uh, our society not being uh, like we don't tell our kids to step into the unknown because we want to avoid the bad, but you're also avoiding the good, you know? And that's what I learned when I had a mentor that was like, no, without the stepping into the unknown, you will forever be a slave forever. You will not, a self-built cage. Yeah. You're just hanging onto the bars. They're not even there. You know, it's like, you could just go. And we got to change that, you know? The other thing I wanted, what do you, yeah. th- a thought that I had when you were talking about this brick uh, and then everything built on top of this unstable brick, is that what's under the bed that we're afraid to look at? Like we're afraid of this big thing and then we're under there and it's like, oh, it's that brick. Now, if I could pull that and replace it with a stable brick, then the whole thing is going to, you know, we don't have to worry anymore. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. It's it's like, um, but it's scary, right? It's like, well, is am, 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 is this the Jenga block that's going to knock everything over? <laughs> that's what I was thinking um, when you said that. But yeah. if I can fix it, um, yeah. you know, you get something more stable. That's why people like stop and they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to do psychedelics. That sounds terrifying. You know, what if well, I just pull the Jenga what block? What if I wake slow. up, you know, come out of the... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, what if I wake up and I realize that I don't like who I am. And it's like, isn't that the best gift in the fucking world? Like, I know it's hard to like accept that, but like what a gift that would be to be like, Oh, I've been doing it all wrong and not to blame yourself for that. Right. Like we're a product of our society. We're a product of our parents. We're a product of our friends. At a certain point, we get to start to say like, who am I? And do I really want to be this person? But we don't really get that choice very much until we're in our 20s or, or maybe 30s. Yeah. And, and lo and behold, you hit 30, 35, and we're in the midst of a midlife crisis. You know what is the cause of that midlife crisis? Is the realization that you no longer have to be bound by everything you were told from being a young kid yeah. and upwards. Yeah. It's a beautiful oh. feeling, and that's a great way to put it. And I think that... uh I wonder if I would have taken these uh, risks and go into the unknown and look at all of this if it wasn't for the pandemic. I really do believe that like it was a horrible thing, but a going through, uh, being on the other side of that waterfall of sand right now, it feels pretty good. You know what I mean? Like it, it was... That was a My, global thing too. It made everybody stop. And <laughs> what do you have when you have to stop? You got to deal with your shit because yeah. you can't like workaholic exactly. your way out of it or like yeah. even the phone. Like still, I think it it cut, the pandemic even cut through social media. Of course, because yeah. you just like it ain't helping, you know? <clears throat> right? No, absolutely. Um, Ronan, I'd like to ask you real quick uh, about PTSD and because obviously that's a huge thing that, you know, we talk about veterans, of course, um, you know, folks who have experienced any type of abuse. Um, I feel like it's a term that sometimes like ADD, maybe it'll just get thrown around. I have PTSD. I have ADD. I have OCD. Uh, Clearly, PTSD is something that probably we all deal with, but from the perspective of like where we see this, I know you're in Canada, but I think it's the same here. What's your thoughts on the, the, the impact of all of these different 
substances and, and as it relates to helping with PTSD and trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one's actually an easy question to answer. So one of the most progressed clinical trials uh, right now uh, is being conducted by an organization called MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. The founder of MAPS, a guy named, by the name of Dr. Rick Doblin. Yeah, he's I, our buddy. I, I'm calling it right now. Oh, you know Rick? Okay. Yeah, he's um, on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, Oh, sweet. Okay. You know, you'll, you'll know them. Then like they're, they just finished the second arm of their phase three clinical trials and the results they're generating are literally mind blowing, like 70% of participants being cured after two or three sessions. And that number actually goes up with time. So people get better over time after treatment ends. Um, so PTSD is a, a significant part of it. Now there's, there, there are different ways to look at PTSD. Now, we all suffer from trauma. We all have small T trauma. Some of us have large T trauma. We all got to deal with it. Yeah. PTSD. I mean, often with severe PTSD, there is a physical component as well, right? Like if you're a military veteran, you've probably been exposed to, you know, uh, blast impacts and all that kind of stuff, victims of sexual assault, all that kind of stuff, you know? So there's, there's a lot more complexity with PTSD than, than the trauma I suffer. And and I'm guessing the trauma that you guys suffer not to diminish that. It's like, sometimes it requires just a a different approach, but MDMA is, is, quite potent for it. Ketamine assisted therapy can be quite potent for it. Psilocybin and LSD certainly can be quite potent for it as well. It's, those can be, it can, it can bring up more challenging experiences with psilocybin because all of that can come to light. And if you're not prepared to deal with it, it can be really, it can, it it can properly support it. Usually doesn't, but it can uh, make things worse. Uh, But there's a lot, lot of promise around this. And, and, all of these studies right now are just looking at a single molecule, right? But imagine doing MDMA assisted, starting with an MDMA session, which is heart opening and people feel a lot of safety in that moment and then add the psilocybin so they can come from a place of safety into that experience and, and revisit it in that way. And and there's not a lot of research on that, but I think there's a, a ton of promise on that. Yeah. And the other thing that I, I want to touch on before I forget was um, one of the things you said that struck me um, was like, your sense of oh, your your wife and your dog um, sleeping around you, and like you know, that's because they feel safe. And um, a, it's a really rewarding experience to let that in. Um, but one of the things I would encourage as well, and and this is so in, in addition to the work with Field Trip and and the book, uh, we're almost done producing a documentary called everybody is doing drugs in which I throw myself into a whole bunch of different experiences and put it on camera. Um, and another side thought is like, I think one of the most important strengths that we don't value in society is vulnerability. It takes a lot more strength to be open and honest about your shit and put it out there yeah, than man. just about anything else. And it's one of the hardest things. So kudos to you. And, and that's definitely one of the things that come out of the documentary as well. But one of, one of the things that happened to me the documentary, we started filming in Costa Rica and we did a psilocybin session and then we did a mescaline session um, uh, through San Pedro, the cactus. Yeah. And I had a moment um, during that where, because I, I, I'm a level-headed guy, you can hear it and I talk like I'm, I'm, I'm always like within a parameter of control. Um, and uh, I realized how much joy I hadn't let in. 
because, you know, trying to control for the downside means you're necessarily trying to control for the upside. So that was a huge lesson for me. Um, But the other lesson was, is like when you're ripped clean of all of your shit and you're like just out there uh, and you're in a group session and everyone else is in that moment in the same place and you get to be seen and accepted and loved when your defenses are down, like I'm even getting emotional talking about it right now. There is no experience more impactful than that, I think, anywhere in the world. And so that's one of the things, and it's one of the things I would encourage you to do as well, is like try doing this in a group session and and feel what it feels like to share that experience and be I seen. Would love to. When you get to be seen for who you are and accepted, like it, it's truly one of the most magical experiences a person can have. That's how old black churches are, man. People fall out, they just, all their emotions, they just screaming and letting it all out and people come up behind them and someone's holding them from the back. One's got each arm, another one's fanning them. And then they're like, yes, sister, let it out. It's, you know, or a brother, whatever. That's magic. That's the healing. That's, that's why that stuff is never going to go away. Yeah. Because some of it is being done right. And it's that. And it's the most powerful thing. It's the most psychedelic experience. I've felt it. I've walked out when it wasn't even me. When I yeah. lived in Birmingham, Alabama for 18 years, and I started going to these old black churches. And aside from the outrageously good music, when this thing would happen, this communal thing, and this person here and this person here, and it's like popcorn almost, you know, where people are letting it out. It's, boy, you talk about psychedelic. There ain't nothing... T- more there's nothing yeah. there's no dmt or anything stronger than that it's the full music communal singing you get the chanting part you get the emotional the acceptance the the it's amazing you know that's what that's what the grateful dead basically it's, i think the spiritual impulse cannot be suppressed in people it's the way we're wired and it will come up any kind of way mm-hmm. and it grew up out of MK Ultra and the Grateful Dead's case, but whatever, you know, it still yeah, popped out yeah. and blew back in their face because yeah. it's that same thing, you know? Well, yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing and and to talk about like the whole group settings of either church or doing these, you know, an experience like that, like you're talking about Ronan, uh, there's no lonelier feeling than being sometimes in these bouts or throes of like depression or panic or anxiety. And I could tell you, doing ketamine through this therapy in a room alone, I feel connected to something when I'm experiencing it. I'm like, I'm not alone. I'm literally not alone. And it's not anybody else in the office. It's not a physical anything. It's just, I feel everything. It's, it's a very interesting heightening of kind of uh, consciousness and, and and you feel a part. Well, you just realize like when you wake up, and you feel alone until you go to bed. It's a shitty, tiring, exhausting feeling. So this experience of being able to put that aside, like you said, and just have it blown out. I would love to see how that is with, I mean, I couldn't imagine experiencing that in a circle with other people who are, you know, have tears streaming down their face. Cause it makes, I feel like, um, one of the things that should be explored in this human experience that we're all going through is that, I think a lot of us who deal with beating ourselves up and 
are very, very empathetic and compassionate and feel great when we see other people happy. I do stand-up comedy for a living. I, 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 I can't make myself laugh, but I, it, it, it's medicine for me to make other people laugh. And when I see other Tom, people happy, for me. <laughs> I, can't, I can't explain how, for, like, that's my purpose. And when I'm able to experience these moments, it's like, yeah, man, you're doing the right, like, you're on the right path. Just go easy on yourself and don't, you know, and that's... I you can just got to bring that sense of community off the stage. This was the same thing for me. I could play music for people. And I've actually, it's someone told me they, it, we stopped them from committing suicide. Right. But it couldn't help me at all. Yeah. Right. But my community was only then it wasn't yeah. off the stage. And what does yeah. the addict do? The addict isolates. So then when yeah. you're alone, like you said, you wake up, with this thing and you make it all the way to going to bed. Like if you did that to someone else, that's against international law. It's against the Geneva conventions, like to isolate somebody, you know, like that, but it's very we, funny. Yeah. But we do it to ourselves. I call like, the FBI on myself. <laughs> I mean, but our society won't, you know, thank God yeah. it's changing. I yeah. mean, Ronan, how did you come to this? Because it feels like, um, I mean, this was only possible very recently. So it seems like you were probably in the business world before. What was your, what's your origin story with getting in this business of all things? Yeah. So I'm a lawyer by training. Um, I hated my life in law, you know, all the things that we're just crying here about like being stiff upper lip and, and like rigid and like that is the world of law. Um, and, uh, so became an entrepreneur. Uh, interestingly, I never did drugs. I didn't drink in high school. I didn't do drugs. I was pretty straight edge. So I came into all of this stuff pretty honestly. Um, in 2013, I ended up meeting uh, some people who had become my business partners in the last business, uh, which is a company called Canadian Cannabis Clinics, which grew to become the largest network of cannabis specialized medical clinics in Canada. None of us really had much experience with cannabis. We were all pretty novel uh, or not like Joseph, one of my business partners, he'd never tried it. I'd tried it a handful of times. I'm like, I don't care what the big deal is, but... I've always been a little bit contrarian. So I knew that the war on drugs was a terrible idea. So anything I could do to sort of like push away the war on drugs um, God bless you. was something I'd support. So what we found though, when we opened it, I was expecting like, listen, this is just all going to be people who want to get high with legal cover. And I'm totally cool with that. You know, if that's all we're doing, I'm okay <laughs> with that just by itself. What we found was it's real medicine. Like it yeah. changed a lot of people's lives. We helped a Always quarter million good. people access the legal medical cannabis. And yeah. It's, yeah. And so I was like, wow, okay. This whole plant-based medicine thing isn't just a euphemism. There's real medicine happening here. Uh, so we sold that business. And and after that, we were just by happenstance, had a conversation uh, with someone uh, who alerted us to some of the things that were going on. Like um, MAPS had just been granted breakthrough therapy designation for their MDMA assisted trial. Michael Pollan had published How to Change Your Mind. And Best book ever. The thing that, it's a great book. The thing that tipped me over was there were four or five uh, online sites openly selling psilocybin mushrooms in Canada. There was probably like a hundred now. Yeah. No, no dark web, no nothing. You just go to the website, yeah. you buy mushrooms or LSD or anything along those lines. Now, we Canada were real happy about that here. This kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's no how I heard about it. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, you post a video on yeah, YouTube exactly. and hashtag psilocybin and there's like <laughs> dealers show up. It's like being in the parking lot. It's like, what'd you say? Mushrooms. It's totally. crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. This is 2018. And uh, I had done, you know, I mentioned Irwin. I've done a lot of work with meditation, trying to deal with my shit <clears throat> yeah. over my life. And then when I, when I, all of these things kind of came together and I knew I had this image, I don't know why, but I have this archetype of like a 28 year old bro from Pittsburgh. And I'm like, I don't know why Pittsburgh, but that's just what came up in my head. And I'm like, could I get that guy? Yeah. <laughs> I see that guy. Yeah. You explain him and I see him. Yeah. We went to college together. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm like, could I ever get that guy to try meditation or therapy? <laughs> Probably not. Can I get that guy to try mushrooms? Probably. And if I can get him to try mushrooms, there's that wedge. You can open that door a little bit to the conversations that were happening. Yeah. And I realized They're that's fragmented. the most impactful thing I can be doing in this world. Yeah. Um, that's beautiful. It's the most impactful thing I could be doing in my life. And and so Field Trip was born. Uh, we spent a lot of time figuring out what to do because unlike cannabis, there was nothing legal. And then we came across ketamine and how ketamine was being used as a psychedelic. And, and, and that's how we started building Field Trip. And we've got nine locations across Canada and the U.S. right now. It's awesome. Amazing. I want to ask I'm, you one quick question yeah. before I, we, uh, before I forget about it. I wrote a little note, but you said something about you saw a neurogenesis happening. And that piqued my interest because we've um, had Paul Stamets on a couple of times. Okay. And he was talking about, you know, the uh, psilocybin um, and the mushrooms uh, being good for neurogenesis. Actually, I guess the lion's mane and yeah. all the other ones that aren't psychoactive to you. Are you. Is this happening from ketamine also? Is that or is yeah, that misunderstood? Yeah, the first studies that have. Interesting. No, it's uh, the first studies that they've taken images of, of neurons um, and you can see like before and after and it was ketamine actually which I think they found the first synaptogenesis happening I could be wrong on that but that's my understanding man that's the first I've heard of that I mean it makes sense but I just that's interesting that's uh, notable I, I have to say that I think and and Ronan I, I don't know if you have to rush I don't know if we are keeping you yeah, too long but if you're I'm good, good. Oh, yeah. you're good. Okay, I'm cool. Good. Yeah. Uh, Cause one of the things I have to ask is, um, you know, I'm taking an, I'm taking a, an antidepressant. I'm taking sertraline right now, which is Zoloft. And I can take ketamine in conjunction with it. The others, psilocybin, LSD, MDMA, MDMA in particular, I think is pretty dangerous, right? As it relates to taking with an SSRI, I, 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 if correct me if I'm wrong, and I think I'll put this out there and maybe you could debunk me. Um, SSRIs could, um, limit the strength of let's say psilocybin, but if you take MDMA, you could suffer serotonin syndrome and that's could be dan very dangerous. Correct. That is my understanding. Uh, I'm not as familiar with the con conversations around SSRIs and MDMA. I just know with psilocybin and, and the tryptamines, MDMA is, is an amphetamine. With the tryptamines, the risk is it just blunts the effect. So it's not particularly dangerous. You don't want to be mixing drugs if you can avoid it, but it's yeah. not that you're going to send yourself off a cliff or anything along those lines by taking antidepressants with it. Ketamine, it's no problem at all because they're acting on different receptors. 
MDMA, that's my understanding, but I'm, I'm not an expert on that. I'm sure whatever Rick offered in that is much more coherent and yeah. complete a thought than I could offer. Well, I guess, I guess in the thing that I kind of, I think is important about that, it's my, if, if, if this world of medicine and psychedelics and all these breakthroughs, if it had a suggestion box, I think I would pump that message more because I think that the conjunction of the two have been, I mean, I'm, you know, standing here talking about it, they, in conjunction, the two and therapy and community and all of the things that I needed have been phenomenal. And I don't think I would have mm -hmm. known to even begin to ask about that. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like I, I was lucky to find a doctor that, that was able to talk with me about how it works on totally different, um, parts of the brain and the SSRI isn't really like a, um, affected, uh, in the ketamine treatment, but it's really important, I think, for people to know that. And I hope that that's something that happens soon where it's like, don't take X and Y together or don't do, you know, things. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it scares me. It scares me almost as much as how fentanyl's in everything. Um, yeah. and maybe cause I'm 43 and I partied most of my life or whatever. And I'm, I'm not interested in any type of non, uh, working on myself, uh, drugs anymore. Yeah. If you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I'm not really looking forward me. to a hangover. I'm not really looking yeah. forward to a cigarette or anything or a cigar. I just want to feel better. So I don't, yeah. I don't even like calling these drugs really, but, um, no. yeah. it's, it, I think it's important for people to know that because, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of stuff and there's a lot of info and whether it's real or not. And there's a lot of, you know, <laughs> forums and experts and, you know, guides and all this. It's, yeah. it's, I, I, I want to, I, I hope personally that, you know, people can find the, uh, someone like I found. Yeah. I think it's really important. And the truth is it's, hundred percent. And it's proliferating, right? Um, it's, it's everywhere. And, and it's one of the big debates, which is like, it's getting the, the psychedelic movement is getting out over its skis, arguably, because you have a whole bunch of Brooklyn shamans who, do they know what they're doing? Do they not <laughs> yeah. know what they're doing? Yeah. Every, yeah. every, you know, we, every, we work turns into an ayahuasca session after hours. It's like, come on, what are we doing? You know? Yeah. But my experience has been most people who are overseeing these sessions are thoughtful. They're knowledgeable. They're like trying to do the right thing. Are there going to be bad experiences? A hundred percent. But my perspective as a, as a lawyer is regulation does not work very well. It, it creates too many unintended consequences. So on balance, I'm like, don't try to pull, like, let's not try to over-regulate this thing right now. Let's accept there's going to be good experiences and bad experiences and just accept that because that's the truth of the reality. Whereas if we come in and be like, we have to eliminate all risk associated with any potential reaction, oh, yeah, it's like, no, you A, you're going to deny right. thousands of people who need it and you're not going to stop everything. So it's like, let's just be responsive. Let's be thoughtful. Let's learn. Let's yeah. have an open dialogue. Let's keep respect. Like, um, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but recently I had um, Carlos, who's the founder of Decriminalized Nature, which is the organization that has led to the decriminalization of uh, plant-based psychedelics in Denver and, and many other cities. And he and I certainly got off to the wrong start. And then he came on the podcast. I have a podcast called Field Tripping. Um, 
And it was like a magical conversation. And we both realized, hey, we're kind of being dicks in that moment. And we apologized <laughs> to each other. And it was so cool. And so I was like, let's just be real and like own our shit and try and be respectful and recognize that like when we cross the line, then we cross the line and apologize and move forward because <laughs> we're all in this together, right? Like that's yeah. the only thing I know for sure is we're all in this together and uh, we got to do our best. So like, let's keep a lot of space and a lot of compassion for a lot of people as, as we all navigate this. The world is you know, changing so, so rapidly. Um, and no can you send that episode to the white house, uh, please? Well, that's the thing I was going to say, like, <laughs> you know, they say, okay, we got to eliminate all risk. It's like, you don't eliminate all risk in pharmaceuticals. You let fentanyl go crazy no. and Oxycontin and all this stuff. And, and they'll tell you on the commercial, Risk might include, you know, anal bleeding, death, uh, oh, you know, last all this stuff, like all these risks, like, oh, but violet, psilocybin, you know, a small last dosage, Ugh, you know. That's so funny. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, I, I guess the thing I worry about is that, uh, you know how, I almost sometimes feel so protective of psychedelic medicine and its progress that I'm nervous that one or two fallbacks is going to have people go like, see, told you it's not right. Like, and that's what I worry about. Like, I want it to be, like you said, ahead of its skis. That's a very interesting way of putting it. You know, like, I feel like some people are just waiting to poo poo it and go see like this happened. So we shouldn't, I don't know if that makes sense. It does totally. I think I mean, what I'm trying we're, to say, we're like moving out of that. Fortunately, I hope so. I mean, I'm yeah, yeah, I'm currently... all these universities are doing the studies. Like you say, there's a momentum. There's nothing that can stop it now. Although it's still, we got to here in America, we got to get the stuff off schedule one. You know, it's like, come on, yeah. it's insane that we. Well, I, is yeah. still I, mean, I hope in one. no way. It, yeah, I, I I hope. I hope it didn't sound like I was saying that things shouldn't be. I want it, I want things to be as I just want it oh, all to sure. go great. You know, I, everyone deserves this. Yeah, That's all. Lord I'm just trying to say. I totally get it. It's like be smart, right? Like we all got to be all. smart here. That's all. Um, that's all. Be smart. Be responsible. Like responsible being the ability to respond. Um, be responsible. Be thoughtful. Be educated. Inform yourself. Don't be stupid. That's, Thank you. That's you know, all the biggest I thing we do right now is fuck it up. Like that's all. Yeah. And I, and I totally dig it. And like, sorry, I would see you like going back to you like, Every day that passes, and I'm I'm exactly like you right now, Mike. It's like I don't drink very much. Like I, I don't I don't do anything sort of party. It hurts too much. Like it's one of the joys, <laughs> so called, of aging. Yeah. But um, like I look at alcohol and I know just how fucking poisonous that is to us. And then I look at the American like inability to regulate cannabis and make it accessible. And I've just like slammed my head against the wall. I'm like, what oh, are you you're trying to keep us safe by giving us access to the worst shit possible and not giving us stuff to like, don't, I'm not, I'm not a person who says there's no risk associated with cannabis, but like for God's sake, like we're talking different orders of magnitude in terms of risk profile. If you can't get your fucking shit together, come on government. Yeah. Like cigarettes. I, I don't know how. It's how a reason Americans it can defies sit by and be like, I support this government. No, it's, yeah, it's, it does it's evil. <laughs> can can you tell all of our listeners where they can find you, find the podcast, anything that you, uh, we'd love, we'll share all of it in the notes as well, but, um, we'd love to, you know, let you yeah. let everybody know. 
Sure. Uh, so me on socials, it's Ronan D. Levy, D as in David, uh, Levy, L-E-V-Y. Um, uh, field Trip is at Field Trip Health on socials. Uh, if you're interested in the Ketamine Breakthrough, which is the book, uh, you can pre-order it on Amazon, I think now. Uh, Everybody is Doing Drugs, the documentary. Um, the website will be everybodyisdoingdrugs.com. It's not live yet, but maybe by the time this episode comes up, it will be because we're getting that ready to go. Um, and yeah, I, I think that covers it. If people are interested in Field Trip Health, um, fieldtrippealth.com is, is where to find us. And there's lots of information there. And I'm always available to answer questions and share ideas and, and talk about all of this stuff because uh, I, I was not born with a good fortune. I would have, if I could play in a band for a living, that would have been my first choice. Um, I was going to be a basketball player second, but my genetics did not provide skills in <laughs> either of those departments. Uh, and so, you know, my purpose right now is having these conversations and, and sharing these thoughts and, and really trying to not just disrupt, you know, mental health treatment, but how we think about what the fuck we're doing in society and, and try yeah. and change the the arc of that. And that's why I find Jamie Wheel's book, um, Recapture the Rapture, so interesting to me because it's such a thoughtful articulation of like ways we can do things different that aren't unachievable. Um, so so I want awesome. to say that I say that with just uh, gratitude for the opportunity to come on here and have this conversation and jam with you guys. It's been it's been a delight. Thank you so yeah. much. And it, it really That's helps me to kind of understand more of what I'm uh, experiencing when I do my treatments and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm really thankful for every, all the work that you're doing. And uh, maybe we can travel uh, into the stratosphere sometime together. I'd be happy to work with yeah. you. Do the group session, baby. Uh, I'd love to. That's <laughs> awesome. it. We got it. We'll, uh, we'll do it. We'll do it just before or just after a dead a dead and co uh concert how about that the first time i saw the dead the only time i saw the dead was at hollywood bowl which is a really cool experience That's uh and for the longest time i never understood the grateful dead like it just did not resonate with me and then i smoked a little bit of a joint and i'm like oh i get it now <laughs> uh, that was a big turning point for me we could do uh, a nice ketamine journey during drums in space <laughs> so we'll be back that, down for i, I would be i'd be uh we're careful about letting mickey open portals well he said he's the he's, he calls himself the director of transportation so let's he see also him. calls himself the rhythm devil and he wears horns <laughs> and i've you seen do it too you I've do seen. too buddy yeah well, devils are <laughs> angels too i guess yes thank you so Great. much for spending time with us really appreciate it my pleasure thanks guys really osiris It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 